This episode of Paper Team is brought to you by the Tracking Board's Launchpad Writing Competitions. In just four years, the Launchpad has helped 216 writers get signed, 68 projects get set up, and 35 writers stuffed, as well as led to four bidding wars. To check out their current and upcoming competitions, visit tblaunchpad.com and see how the Launchpad can jumpstart your professional writing career. Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we're going to be talking about writing for adult animation with Allison Taffel, who is a staff writer on Bojack Horseman. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward. Sorry beat. about that. I jumped in. I don't really Let's start off by telling us how did you get your start in the industry and then transition into becoming a writer? Well, I first got started, uh, I got, I guess I, I got started in college. I started doing comedy and improv and sketch. And uh, before living in Los Angeles, I lived in Chicago and did Second City Conservatory and joined the improv community out there. And yeah, and then I moved out here with some writing samples and with my dreams <laughs> and, uh, and started working kind of at the bottom of the barrel. I, I started out as a CBS page was my very first job out here, mm-hmm. which is like Aww. the people... If you don't know what a page is, it's a Kenneth on Thirty Rock with the <laughs> with the blazer and the tie, and I, you know, was a glorified traffic cone essentially. And um, in the meantime, kind of worked my way up from there. So started out as a page, then became a PA on a, which is a production assistant on a television show, on Fox, and um, along the way kept writing and giving people my writing sample and hoping that they all liked me enough to keep bringing me back. So that's awesome. kind of my start. What were kind of the the jobs that you got before uh, being a staff writer on BoJack? Well, so I started. I it was a, I was CBS page. I can follow it, and then I was a production assistant on the show Raising Hope on Fox, which is great. Mm-hmm. I was the, it was the best job. I mean, it's when you are at the bottom of the barrel, basically you're being paid very little and working very very long hours. So you're working like twelve to fifteen hours a day, uh, doing uh, very uh, easy work, but time-consuming, such as making copies or running and getting food for everybody, or um, I once had to, like, get a giant alien head from, like, an artist <laughs> and put it in the back of my car and drive it to work, you know? Uh, and so, did, did you get pulled over uh, on the way? Uh, I wish. That would have been really weird being like, there's this thing, don't pay no mind, alien That wasn't even on Raising Hope. I, after Raising Hope, I went to a show, on, I did Disney Channel, so I, I went to a show called Mighty Med, where I was a PA, and I got promoted mid-season to being the showrunner's assistant which uh, is the, the creator of the show, the head of the show. It's their person. So it's, again, more ridiculous jobs, but just now for one person. So it's <laughs> like I, dropping off FedEx, doing dry cleaning, watching, walking the person's dog, you know, very uh, great things that make you feel good about yourself, really, in your decision making. Um, but I was that assistant and then went over to another Disney Channel show called Bunked. You can't say it like bunked. You got to say bunked. <laughs> and I was a showrunner's assistant on that show. And then the following season got promoted to writer's assistant, which is the job where you are you are literally the one writing the show. You are sitting, you're not writing it as in terms of your brain, but uh, you're sitting in a room where you're the one typing while all the other writers are telling you what to type. So I did that. It was There's not a direct connection between me being a writer's assistant and me getting on BoJack Horseman, but it was also in the meantime I was writing. And um, I had managed to get a manager through... Oh man, I, I gave my sample to somebody who gave it to somebody who had a manager who was looking for a new client, and my sample um, was awesome. <laughs> um, and uh, so, signed with a manager while I was still 
at Banked, and he helped me get my agents, which then in turn um, helped me get an interview with BoJack Horseman because I had told them. I mean, I had told them I was obsessed with the show. I was like, <laughs> I would love to work on a show like BoJack Horseman. I, never, I don't even think I said, like, I want to be on BoJack, like, because I, I thought that was impossible. Yeah. yeah. And um, then they were like, okay, first, it was, you know, first interview, BoJack Horseman. And I kind of went in and very much fangirled. I very much was like, mm. you know, when you did this, it was so cool. <laughs> um, and I think they liked me enough to then, uh, like, a couple weeks later, they brought me on as a staff writer. So I was able to uh, leave Bunked and... Um, Go and be a staff writer on BoJack. So that's wow. kind of the that's kind of the path, yeah. That's amazing. And somewhere along the way, there you also did like a late night writers program, yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, I also was able to get into. I, I every year I apply to all the fellowships, and that's that's what I always tell people is just apply to everything and anything that you can. Um, there's many fellowships out here, so I did the uh, late night writers workshop in 2016 um i applied for it and i was one of six like selected out of like 2,000 people which wow. is insane yeah which was a great experience i got to go to new york and spend i think it was like a seven-day program where they taught us how to write on late night and that was just more of like a dream come true really just really mm-hmm. fun emotional experience but i think because i also had my name now on a website saying nbc selected me that certainly helped with me able with me being able to get representation mm. yeah and also in the meantime besides doing all the working and assisting I was also performing every night and I do improv and I do sketch and I'm writing all the time so I think there's that's also a very important part of it too is to stay creative not just not just focus on being really good at getting coffee right be really good at getting coffee (laughs) too but like also be writing all the time and putting yourself out there yeah uh what was kind of your portfolio at that point did you have you said you had like specs was it like pilots like how much writing had you done before that I, I had some specs, and most of the specs that I had written were for doing fellowships. As far as I know, and I'm not an expert, f- fellowships are the only places that really care about specs. I think specs are really important. I think they're good for learning how to write television, and they're really a great way for you to understand television if you're first starting out. But I also had this huge uh, folder of my own personal pilots. And, you know, it's one of those examples of like my first pilot when I first moved to Los Angeles, I thought was amazing and I'm going to sell it and it's going to star me and it's going to be great. But it really took like, I mean, this was maybe four or five pilots later, which is just kind of me learning like when to put something away and to move on to another thing and and take what I've learned by working in the industry and getting feedback from people. Um, So it really was like, I had two pilot original pilots that I sent to the person who uh, now reps me. His name's Brendan Bragg at Haven. He's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, uh, so I had those two ready to go. I also had specs if people were interested, but really my manager and my agents weren't very interested. Um, <laughs> and I also had uh, what's called like a, a packet for, for late night. So I have a packet, which is like pages of just uh, monologue jokes plus sketches, plus desk bit ideas. So I had a packet as well, which I still am constantly like revising as well because it's a love late night. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I kind of had all the things, which I hate to say because I feel like that doesn't that's not helpful. <laughs> like for a writer being like, wait, I have to have all the things. But I think like I, I eventually, uh, having original pilots and being good at writing original pilots I think it was like a big key, but I had to write all the other stuff to get there. I was wondering regarding the hiring process, what was the interview like? Because you came in as, as you said, a fangirl. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. And, you know, those kinds of meetings usually are the, I think Gene Espenson calls them the pants meeting. Basically, the, the showrunner just the wants crazy to see. Check. 
pants, <laughs> pants meeting? No, I want to know what meeting. that means. Does uh, that mean like, do you show up in pants? Exactly. Basically. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, that's great. No, I actually, I fully, uh, I got it. Fully dressed for that. Yeah, one. yeah. <laughs> you guys, I did. I came like and wearing good clothes too. So like, <laughs> they really thought I had my things together. Um, A t-shirt tuxedo. <laughs> I, uh, oh, I should have. That would have been too fangirly. Like, <laughs> I love Mr. Peanut Butter. Um, I think the first, what got me the interview um, was, well, my agent, I mean, that's why agents are helpful, but my agent got me the interview. But I had a great sample that actually uh, was very much in the wheelhouse of BoJack Horseman. Um, probably not on purpose, but because I am such a fan of the show. Uh, I'm not saying I wrote a BoJack spec. Do not write a BoJack spec and send it to Raphael Bogmaster <laughs> and say, like, he actually just went on a Twitter thing saying, like, this is why I won't read that spec, because you don't want to give a showrunner something that they know more about than you will ever know. But my spec was a very silly, had to do with uh, alien cows shooting humans with milk guns. So, like, it's a very, <laughs> very silly kind of pilot. And so he really enjoyed it. And so that's what got me in the interview. But yeah, the point of the interview is, like, you know, writers can be great on paper, and then you come in and you're like, "Oh, you're like an insane person." Like, because <laughs> you're you're in a room for a really long time with these people, so it's about meeting people that you can be in a room with for a really long time, being a nice, personable person. Um, but also, just it's about whether or not your your vibe works with the other vibes, and it's and it's about kind of fine tuning the different people you're going to have in the room. So it's I think if like you ever get that interview, to not stress too much about being the right person. Um, oh, I'm on, I'm doing air quotes right now, <laughs> <laughs> doing a right person and just being yourself. Cause that's going to help you more than trying to fit whatever mold. Cause you don't know what they want. But yeah, my interview was, I think really just a talking about why I wrote the script. I did what I know about Bojack. Did I have any ideas about Bojack? Hmm. Um, which was real fun because then when later, like some of the I don't know if some of my ideas, they were mine or if like that was the direction they were going anyway. So that was really exciting to be like, I said that in my interview. <laughs> yeah. um, but any ideas for BoJack and also just like kind of just shooting the breeze, like just kind of talking about TV that we like. Like, I mean, I told him about my love for Ben Affleck, which is like a very known thing with all my friends. Um, <laughs> and he got in an argument with me about... <laughs> Like, not Ben Affleck, but about uh, the reality show on HBO and whether or not I watched it. Project Reality. Oh, like, so yeah. then we started getting into, like, a, a, a being like, do we like it? Do we not? No, 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 no. And then, like, we left being like, well, we both agreed on Project Greenlight. And, yeah. and then we left. But really, the whole point was, like, can I just hang with this person? Yeah. Which sounds so silly and unfair, but I think, like, that's kind of half of it is being talented, but also being someone that you can collaborate with other people with and be open to, like, how do you, what's your... Uh, rapport with people yeah that's kind of like an adage that the less time you spend actually talking about the job in an interview or a meeting then often the better the meeting is gone if you're just kind of shooting the the breeze yeah i mean in hindsight i'm glad that's the case in my brain i was like they didn't ask me anything more about the show they only talked to me they weren't taking me i mean i went home being like i'm not gonna get i really didn't think i was gonna get it i was very like that was cool i mean i think i even left being like if I never see you again, just know your show is very important to me. Like I was very Aww. like a, like a very, I was just so excited to be there. So, um, when, yeah, I got the call that I got it. Um, I mean, I don't know why I got it over other people. I just know, like, be prepared, have a great spec, be a nice person, um, show up in pants. I guess that's the thing. <laughs> that's the last one. And, um, and, uh, yeah, don't stress too much about your personality because your personality is what you, who you are. And that's yeah. more important as a writer than 
trying to change who you are in an interview. Right. What did you do when you got that call? Did you just like completely flip out or like, how did you, how did you celebrate? Nachos and beer. That's <laughs> 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 how I celebrated. I was at work. I was at, I was at Bunked and, um, I, I was in the room and I had a couple missed calls. I'm not supposed to, you know, mm-hmm. I wasn't supposed to be on my phone as a writer's assistant. But when I had like, you know, my phone was kind of blowing up. I was like, I was actually worried something had happened. Like, is this my family calling me? So I'd excuse myself from the room. I get on the phone. I'm on speakerphone with um, my, uh, I, have, I have three agents. That sounds so hoity-toity. I'm sorry. I have three agents and <laughs> I have CAA. a man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't say that very much. Great agents. Their names are uh, Tara and Praveen and Jackie and uh, Brendan, who's my manager. And they were like, sit down. In my brain, I'm like, ooh, I got something. And I actually had interviewed for a few other jobs. So I assumed I was getting another one that I was would have been and an amazing story to tell you if I got that job because mm-hmm. I, I was a big fan of that show as well. Uh, I did not think BoJack. So when I sat, they're like, sit down. And I'm like, okay, I got a job. And they're just like, you got BoJack Horseman. And it was just like faucets, like tears, like, <laughs> oh my God. Like people are passing me thinking something's wrong. Like people were, <laughs> like I was on the uh, a Holly, it's the Hollywood Center Studios lot. So mm-hmm. all these people are passing me, like looking at me like, are you okay? And I was like, just sobbing and going, oh my God, okay, okay, okay. Great. Now, so when do I start? And they're like, you start tomorrow. Oh, wow. So I had to get off the phone. And the first thing I did is call my boyfriend, who also could not believe. Like, he was just so excited. Like, he had to leave his office, too. (laughs) And I think he cried a little, too. I'm like, oh, my God. And then um, call my, I think I called my parents. I called my brothers. I called my best friend. And then had to then go into my boss and pull her out of the showrunner of Bunked, who was lovely. Who's a great person. Her name's Pamela. She's amazing. And I... Had to just be like, so I I got a job. She's like, oh my god, honey, I'm so excited for you. And I had to be like, and I start tomorrow. Oh. And you know, they were really great about it because I think they understand that. Like, I I don't. I'm not trying to promote if you get a job quitting and leaving that day. If you have the ability, you should give two weeks notice or a week's notice and help out because again, it's all about who you know and networking and things like that. Yeah. Um, because of how BoJack where they were in the schedule. I didn't need to come in the next day. And she was really great. And she was very supportive about it. And I think they figured it out. They, they got someone immediately, because guess what? A lot of people want writer's assistance jobs. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it was kind of a whirlwind, because I kind of got home. My boyfriend made me nachos, which is like my favorite meal ever. Mm-hmm. And also would be like my wedding cake, would not be wedding cake, it'd be a nacho cake. <laughs> and then and then beer, or champagne, and then beer, because beer is more important to me than champagne. But champagne's about the like, yeah, yay. The lifestyle. <laughs> but it was a little fast. It was like I got home at 8 p.m. that night, and I had to start at work at like, I had to start my first day at Bojack the next day at like 10 a.m. Wow. the next day. So yeah. it was great. It was amazing, but it's kind of sur- it was a surreal experience for sure. So tell us about, you know, walking into that writer's room. I mean, what's it like? How many people are in there? What levels are they at? And what's that kind of like environment dynamic like? Every writer's room is different. And so I'll tell you about BoJack, but I can say with also other experience with Disney and Rosing Hope, they're all very different. Yeah. So BoJack is, uh, there was eight of us, including the showrunner, Raphael, that's nine. Mm-hmm. So there's four women, four men, which is crazy. It's awesome. <laughs> it's yeah. amazing. Uh, but that, I, I've never been in a writer's room that had equal women and men, which was really nice and refreshing. And I was the only staff writer. You know, I could go through and say everyone's titles, but to be honest, BoJack over other shows really didn't uh, make a big deal about that. You know, mm. lots of times I, uh, when I've been on other shows, that you know, you get your own office or you get your own desk and you have your name above your desk, a little uh, thing that they print out. And they'll say underneath it, uh, 
staff writer or kind of the levels are staff writer, what is it, story editor, producer, co-executive producer, executive producer. That's kind of the levels of mm-hmm. writers. But at BoJack, it was Allison, and it was Kelly, Joanna, Kate, wow. you know. It was, First name basis. Yeah, yeah. It was like, it was just like, <laughs> this is where you sit. So I'm even, I think I had to like wait until like I watched old episodes of BoJack with some of the writers from previously <laughs> being like, okay, so he, oh, he's a co-executive producer or he's an executive, you know. Um, why, why that was nice is uh, even though there's only, because there's only eight of us in the room, it didn't really feel like there was hierarchy. I mean, there is because uh, there's people who are more experienced and more funny than I am. <laughs> but there wasn't, I never felt, you know, some rooms run it where it's like staff writers, just, you know, when you should speak, there's someone right. who's, there's someone who should speak more than you. Mm-hmm. But BoJack wasn't like that. BoJack was very, it's a collaborative, you're, it's a small room. So it's more, you have to speak up more because it's a much more collaborative talking out kind of effort. Mm-hmm. But like other rooms have 20, on Raising Hope, there's like, I think 20 writers when I was on. Wow. All um, in the one room, or did they split them up? They or? split them up. Oh. I think it was 20, but it, it was Crazy. a lot. And, and that was my first show, so I was like, oh, all staffs have 20. Was it like 20 writing entities? No, no, it was. There's a lot a lot of teams, yeah. So there's a lot of, um, you know, which a team is two people who split a salary. But yeah, like I, I know on Bunked, for instance, there was 16 writers. I think all of them were teams, though. So technically it was eight writers, but 16 people in a row. Wow. So eight is a very... Trying to get maximum value there. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. All, all the paper teams. Disney knows how to do that. Um, but yeah, BoJack was is, was a very small. Um, we had one writing team, which was Jordan Young and Elijah Aaron, who actually, they're amazing. Uh, they wrote the underwater episode of season three. I mean, they're... Oh um, my God. Yeah. So to me, I'm like, I can't believe they're a team. Like, I'm glad they're a team because they're a great team. But I'm also just like, individually, you're amazing people. So it really doesn't... Being a team or being not doesn't like make you less of a writer in any way mm-hmm. um but yeah so there's eight of us can you walk us through the 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 process of making an animated show especially how it differs from live action oh yes and no uh, yes i can um but <laughs> i i guess uh bojack really was very similar to live action except for um you know we weren't shooting at the same time technically we because Raphael came from I think live action and we were a WGA show, which sometimes animation isn't WGA. Mm-hmm. We we ran very similar to what a live action would be. We had table reads and we had um, a similar structure. But I think the difference between maybe us and and another show is we had time. So you, there's there's always time to change and and to revise and to work on individual episodes to make them better. And we were able to also. I mean, Netflix loves arcs. I mean, that's the whole Netflix model is all about kind of bingeable stuff. So they're not really stand, even though, yes, they are standalone episodes. The idea is like every episode is feeding into the next episode, which is feeding in the next episode. So you're always kind of working toward the like overall thing. Right. And we had time to do that. Whereas like a live action maybe has like, because of production costs, like you have to like have your script done and locked and ready to go by this point and by this point. So I think that would be the main difference. Well, how far in advance are you guys planning for that whole season, especially because you have, I guess, a, theoretically a full year between seasons? What is that process like of making an entire season before the first episode even airs? It's really, really fun. <laughs> um, when I came on, I was I, they were already a couple weeks in into writing, but before we wrote any scripts down, you know, we had a big whiteboard and we had um, these big note cards with big things we wanted to happen to each character. Like here's here's a here's a story idea for BoJack this season. This is what we want 
to kind of deal with him this season. This is his thing. Here's Princess Caroline's. Here's here's all these. And so we kind of had places for them in this like big a whiteboard of like by episode six this needs to have happened for by the time you get to episode 12 so it's like mm-hmm. you know you have 12 episodes you know you have arcs for everybody what's really funny is like you can talk and plan it out all you want and then when you get to actually writing episodes like oh my gosh by like episode six we'd be like weren't we gonna do that thing with todd and then it became like <laughs> well now we're not <laughs> you know like so there's still even when you're in it there is still a chance it's not like everything was set in stone there was still a chance that like the end of the se- i mean by the time we got to episode 12 i i remember like i still didn't quite know how things were going to end because it it's really kind of indicative of what each in what happens in each episode that comes with the creative process which was nice because it's as opposed to like having no, we have to, because by episode seven, Princess Carolyn better have had this happen to her. And it's like, sometimes it's like, but in episode five, that was really funny. So we're not going to do it anymore because we had a funnier idea or, you know, I say it like we, I mean, everyone who worked on like, I feel like I was so sitting there twiddling my thumbs half the time being like, oh, this is great. By episode 10, everyone will be crying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a BoJack trait for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Usually episode 11 is like, we really sad. Uh, crush everyone's soul. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was so you kind of have a loose arc, and then you get into writing, and everything changes, no matter how much you try not to make it change. But yeah, so I don't know if I even answered your question. Sorry, <laughs> but it was a big process. It's a it's a big fun process that I think we had time to do. So, as a writers in a writing room, how do you interact with the the animators? And can you talk about sort of how it works with like doing a voice record and getting animatics back, and how you can kind of keep changing it as it goes? We usually, we do the record first, and I believe how it's helpful for the animators is basically we get kind of like a radio version of the show. Mm-hmm. So it's like we, we, we get all the actors in, they record the parts, we edit that, the sound part together, and then we can give it to the animators to kind of use to create the looks of the people based off of the performances that are given. So it's not like the performers are adjusting for the characters, the characters are adjusting for the performers, which is mm-hmm. really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, as for our interaction with the animators, like really, we kind of write before and then we wrapped after 12 episodes and there's still so much work to be done. So we, the most that I got to see as a staff writer, which of course other writers maybe got to see more, hmm. is like the character design. So like my favorite was like I wrote a episode where I uh, had two tiny characters, like two line characters and I hmm. named them John and Michelle after like my best friend and his girlfriend. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And uh, she, I got to see the drawing of John and he's, he's an animal. (laughs) Like I didn't imagine it, but it was like so exciting to see like, Oh, this is the character that she created for him. So I got to see that. And I also, did it resemble your friend, John? (laughs) I mean, they didn't know, you know, I'm a staff writer. So I didn't be like, just so you guys know. Here's a photo. Yeah. He he, like, it was a person who had a line that's like, yeah, cool. Right. But his name was John and that's what was important. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, the animation kind of happens the design happens while we're writing, but the actual animation and the layout happens later. And when you get to write your episode, Raphael is great about like my episode. I got to go in a few times and listen to the records of the people get doing the lines and like yeah. give my notes, That's which amazing. I didn't have many because like our actors are so good <laughs> that I'm just like so floored that I'm like, you made that funnier than how I wrote it. Um, Do you throw like alt lines out for them to try? And, like, yeah. Uh, you know, Raphael does. Sometimes it's alt lines, but sometimes it's just like people don't realize that like when you do voice work for animation, like you have to do a lot of noises. So yeah. it's like, okay, so you're lifting up a heavy box. So if you could make a heavy box noises now, like, 
like and so it's like you know these very successful famous people being like (laughs) like you know it's hilarious that's Um, amazing but yeah and then after the records uh then the i did get to see animatics for the first four episodes of next season i got to see the animatics a little bit of my episode um can you explain what an animatic is for people who don't know yeah sure uh i didn't know either so (laughs) that was making me sound cool an animatic is kind of a best way i can describe it is a very basic cut of animation that looks very blocky. So kind of what South Park is just in general. <laughs> like if South Park is like that very chunky kind of, it's not smooth movement and it's and it's very, uh, it's black and white, it's not colored yet. And it's like it's a moving storyboard or kinda, something. Kind of, like yeah. That. It's kind of like that flip book kind of. Yeah, well, I, I would even say like, it's like if you, if you taped some uh, drawings on some popsicle sticks, and like moved them around, like jumped them around, and like now they turn here, and now they do this. It's a very kind of choppy storyboard version that lines up with the with the voice that we got, like uh, sorry, the voice recordings that we got. So mm-hmm. like I got to see the very choppy, chunky version of my episode for a little bit, and then I also got to see a more smoother version of the first four episodes. My episode six of season four that's coming out, but. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that it was like they were just so beautiful, even though they weren't even. I'm <laughs> like thinking like, oh my god, they're not even done yet. This is amazing. But yeah, that's that's what animatics are, and it's a play, it's a time for Raphael and the directors to the director of animation to like say, you know, he crosses to the fridge. Actually, can we make him cross to the couch? Or there's a there's a. It's similar to live action where it's like this is a close up shot of his face, and actually, can we get like a cowboy shot, which is like of your chest to your head, or mm-hmm. can we get a full body shot here, or can we get another person in the picture, like. It's similar with animatics. It's, it's it's a way to look at it with live action. It's a similar kind of cut edit process. Yeah, I'm curious about the collaboration on on the creative level with animators, especially because BoJack is such a visual show. You have animals representing different things, and then that's one of my favorite things about BoJack is figuring out the the you know the animal representing a specific profession and all these yeah, things. Yeah, me too. Um, is it? In the script, is it the animators coming up with that? What's the breakdown? Well, the animators are hilarious. Our animators are so funny. Um, Lisa is is a really, really very funny person, and then um, Mike Hollingsworth. Uh, he's our he's the supervising director, which I had to learn what that was. But he's another one who is in the animation side, and he's absolutely hilarious. And they. So sometimes it's in the script. Sometimes we're very funny, and we want like a specific animal or joke or something in the background. But majority of the time, if you really love the puns on the t-shirts, the puns on the books, the 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 animals that like, I mean, I think in season three, there, he goes to a, a bat mitzvah and it's like an actual <laughs> bat. Bat, bat, bat mitzvah. Um, I don't, I, I wasn't on in season three, so, but I'm pretty sure that was like a, a Lisa thing. Like I, I, the animators have a lot of creative freedom. And so like, it's almost like funny to hear people go, oh, I love that show. It's so funny. All the background things. And it's like, those were not writers. Those <laughs> yeah. were all the animators because they're absolutely hilarious. But yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's a much more cla- it's not like the writers are sticklers with things and the animators are this way it's, right. it's a very collaborative in that like regard that everyone gets to be funny <laughs> that's awesome are there ever any like budgetary considerations for what you can write in animation stuff that's more difficult to do for people to animate or things like that yeah i was surprised because you know working in live action sometimes you're like oh you can't blow up a car that's very expensive so then you think well animation you can blow up cars and in, in animation, you can get away with a little bit more, but there are funny things like, um, I remember there was a discussion about Bojack's car and whether or not, you know, because I think in, in season three, I think he I think he runs his car into a pool. Mm-hmm. So there's this question of like, 
well, did that car get saved or does he have a new car? But then it's like, you have to keep in mind, if he has a new car, that means the designer, that costs money to mm. even just, just like buy it to draw a new car and have a new car template. So then yeah. I remember there's like things like, well, what kind of, does he have a similar car that's just a different color? Mm. Um, so I think there are budgetary things in terms of like, instead of making them meet at a new restaurant every time, they constantly go back to that same restaurant because we already have that background, you mm. know, or instead of making this in a park, why don't we make it Bojack's living room? Because we already have that kind of background or creating new characters. Let's hope that if we do create new characters, they're in multiple episodes mm. because then it's like, you know, that drawing is expensive and mm. animating that takes a lot of time and money. So, I mean, that works as a background jokes like that random uh, improv guy from the, I think the second season that was throughout the third season. I mean, personally, I, I wouldn't, I sort of recognize the random uh, improv guy yeah. from that, right. that boat, um, that cruise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the third season. Oh, they're all, uh, they repeat background. The background people are like some of my favorite. Like, uh, they have a, again, I'm a Ben Affleck fan. And I saw in one of the edit bays, I was like, you have a Ben Affleck template? And they're like, yeah, they, they just, during the Oscar season, they just needed like famous looking people in the background. So they have like a Ben Affleck famous, like, and that <laughs> he's like in the under underwater episode. And I remember being like, if you have a template of Ben Affleck, I want to write a Ben Affleck part. Yeah, did you uh, put him in? Like, maybe uh, you can't say. Uh, he, I'm for, unfortunately, I didn't have the courage, but uh, so I don't think he will be making an appearance season four. But He's going to be the lead of the fifth season. I mean, just know that that template is made. But I just love that. Like They have these like movie star templates that now anytime there's movie star stuff, you're going to probably see George in the background. <laughs> George Cleaners. Yeah, yeah, you probably will at some point, I imagine. But it's more of that kind of budgetary stuff that like... I had to learn about myself. Can we just say for a minute how amazing it was that Bojack predicted the Oscar yeah, mess Oscar. up? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's amazing. I didn't even think about that. That's true. It had never happened before. It comes future. on Bojack and then it happens in real life. Well, so you, you guys know. better be careful about what you write. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, get ready for season four because... <laughs> it's getting real. <laughs> I'm kind of curious about the, the feedback loop, uh, especially because you guys are on Netflix and you are not getting uh, feedback outside of the production company and the studio and all these elements until the show gets out. So how does that work on the story level? How does that impact the writing, if at all? It does. It, I think, I mean, any show kind of is impacted by the network because it's the network's, ultimately, mm-hmm. it's their decision to, to air your episode. So with every episode, you have to, uh, Raphael would have to pitch it to the network and get approved by the network. And then um, we'd have table reads and they'd usually stay after and talk to Raphael about, you know, their thoughts on the show. And uh, same with drafts. I think we always sent them their way. You know, I'm, because being a staff writer, I'm not like, not like elbow to elbow with all the Netflix people. <laughs> like I don't know them on a first name basis, but I know who they are when they walk in the room. Um, I think every network is part of the process, and so you can either look at it as like they give you notes and that, and that's frustrating, and you know it hurts your creativity. I, I can honestly say Netflix is not like that, and in fact, Netflix and most good networks, and I think Netflix is a good network. They help either they let they let you do your thing or whatever notes they have are to help improve the product. Because sometimes I think when you're in it, when you're so inside of it and you're writing it, you don't see some flaws that maybe hmm. a network exec who comes to a, to a table read would notice. That's my vague answer, I guess. They're very <laughs> helpful and they're very good and they help pay me money. So yeah. way to go, Please keep network execs. Um, but no, yeah, they, they, they're, they're always there along the way, the whole time. They, they are very involved with the whole process. 
I'm curious, uh, when you guys are breaking the, the season and the episodes, is there a conscious effort to make kind of a, a special episode, like obviously the drug trip episode from the first season, the silent episode from the third season, or the flashbacks within flashbacks, you know, alternate narrative elements? Is that like a conscious decision within the season of, okay, this we're going to be making the third episode this way? Um, not not in that specific way not like episode uh, you know people used to say like episode 10 is always or was it 11 episode 11 was the sad episode of Bojack, yeah. at least the first three seasons no i don't I, there is a direct effort that every episode what's a cool way to tell this story what is an interesting thing and an interesting thing we haven't talked about or done or a format that animation can do that maybe live action can't do how what's a cool unique way to tell a story that was really fun about being on staff is like hearing just everyone's wonderful ideas but it kind of um you know i remember we had like um i can't get into specifics but like the structure we had a structure that we thought would be a really cool idea and it started out being like episode three was going to be that structure and then as we realized where what story we wanted well that structure doesn't work so let's push it to four let's push it to five and then it became I don't even know. I think it just became... We did end up doing that structure, but it wasn't until later episodes. And so, yes, there always is the deliberate... Let's always push ourselves to be better storytellers and Mm -hmm. interesting storytellers because what else are we doing but to try (laughs) to be creative? Uh, But there isn't ever like an intent of like, well, episode four needs to be our political episode and episode (laughs) two needs to be our like musical episode or anything like that. Um, But I do think it, it does create... I think Bojack's a really great place that creates like that kind of cool. Oh, did you see? I, I'm excited for next season because it'll be like, did you see this episode and what mm. this one was about? I've never All seen right. anything like it. There's yeah. always that one episode that like every news outlet has put up a thing like, oh my God, this is so unique and interesting and amazing. So it's cool that it gets that kind of hype and that attention. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the goal is to have every episode be like that though. Yeah. You know, you want every episode to be that very special episode. And that's that was really fun being on staff with people who really cared about that. Mm. It's awesome. I often call BoJack Horseman kind of like the Breaking Bad of animated sitcoms because... Oh, cool. Because uh, of Aaron? Paul? Well, that too. <laughs> Did you see my Jesse uh, little doll over there? Oh my God. <laughs> That's an amazing doll. Uh, but, you know, when I say that, I'm more referring to the fact that BoJack as a character genuinely kind of arcs and changes over the season and over multiple seasons, as opposed to kind of like a hard reset like The Simpsons where the character is always the same every mm. episode and they don't like learn anything. So I'm curious, like, what are the challenges involved in keeping a character like BoJack familiar and recognizable and essentially, you know, BoJack himself while allowing him to kind of grow and change as he goes? Oh, that's a great, great question. I always feel like I'm not qualified to answer that question. Uh, I'm curious if maybe he has like a central <laughs> flaw or conflict or paradox that he can kind of like never get past and that's what guides you through it or, you know. You know, I think I think with Bojack, I, I think why people really like him as a character is I think he's really, really relatable. Hmm. So one thing I kind of learned in the writer's room is that all of us, this is going to sound so hokey, but like all of us are Bojack hmm. and all of us have a perspective of Bojack. But no, I don't think we have a, a thing of being like, you know, we have a big mantra being like bojack is always depressed circle three times remember this um i think we all take our personal experiences and um and try to feed that into that character i think a driving force with bojack and why people really i think because he's one of the few cartoons yeah that does really change over time Mm. i i think how we write him is like nothing's really off the table with him like really like you know there's a lot of discussion at least when i was in the room about like Maybe this is the thing that changed him. Maybe not. 
Uh, oh, it turns out it didn't, you know. Um, but I, I think he is because he's constantly evolving. I don't know how to answer that. I guess I'm saying because he, he's kind of part of who we are. So I, I don't think we really looked at him in that sense of like, he will never get a mohawk, you know, or like we have like little <laughs> rules like that. But I think we, because we all have a part of us that are, is Bojack. Mm. I know that sounds hokey. I think, uh, I think that's what makes him a very malleable, but then relatable kind of character. Mm-hmm. We've all been the person who like can't seem no matter who self-sabotage. Like we constantly are self-sabotaging right, ourselves. Yeah. And I think that's something Bojack always it's does. It's very Bojack. Yeah. Maybe also this kind of like need for like validation from people or like he lacks this self-worth or something. Yeah, you know? which again, I think is universal. Which is everyone, you know, yeah. And I think from my, I say this as like staff writer, uh, not creator. I think what was cool about me coming in is you had some writers who are new like me or you had some writers who had been around for a while that it was nice to come in and go, Oh, that's what you meant? I didn't know that. As an outsider who came in, this was my thought, and I thought I think that was really fun for pe- for all of us to collaborate together and went, oh, that's what you took away from that? I didn't take away that. I took mm. away this thing or that thing. And it just helped kind of... I mean, ultimately, Bojack is Raphael's creation, so mm. I think filtering it through him is the is why he has the consistency. Yeah. Right. But, uh, yeah, I think I don't think there's ever, like, don't worry, he always has the sweater on or anything <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of like that Secretariat mirror billboard. You are a Bojack Horseman. <laughs> I mean, I know it's hokey, but I did. I, I think that was what I never thought I related to. I just loved the show. But like after getting to be on, I was like, I kind of am like all these characters. I think that's what, make the, what makes them good is that you can kind of mm-hmm. relate to all of them. I'm kind of curious about process regarding getting all these big name guest actors, even for cameos or bigger roles, especially when they're written in script. Like I'm assuming Greg Kinnear and King Lear in the third season, there's all these like little in-jokes. Obviously, esteemed character actress Margot Martindale. <laughs> uh, is it a question of first writing the joke and seeing if they're game for it, or is it flip the other way around? You know, I'm not involved with any of the casting part of the show. What I will say is if we hear that a person is wanting to do this part that we offer them, then yeah, we definitely get really giddy with puns Um, (laughs) but it's almost like a little like we'll write all these puns and we'll be like and then i know Raphael's probably going back to his office and being like i need to take it like i can't humiliate this person (laughs) in this way i i think the reason a lot of people like to do that show our show though is like they're fans of it so i think it it hasn't been a and again i'm not in the cat i don't want to like speak for the casting director who's obviously amazing at her job um but I'm, I don't know how difficult, but to me, I, I always felt like people are always really enthused to be on the show, and that's mm-hmm. made it a little easier. Mm. Um, but no, I don't think we ever really write anything specifically for someone. I know a good example, and this isn't from when I was on, but like Jessica Beale came on, and she plays Jessica Beale. She was Mr. Peanut Butter's second wife, mm-hmm. and she's on, uh, I think, season three. And apparently she was just so excited to like make fun of herself. And she's like <laughs> just apparently this like really, really good sport about herself and was like willing to. And because of that, then like even in the recording sessions, like I, I believe Raphael came out to the writers and was like, she wants more and she's Aww. like willing to do it. So like <laughs> I, I think like that it's that it's that kind of process of like sometimes it's in the script and we seek certain people. Sometimes it's we get the person and then we know how to write the script for them. But yeah, I think mm. that's the process. Uh, so you mentioned Raphael kind of putting his stamp on it and his voice on the show. How does that kind of work practically in terms of making sure that it's consistent to, to his vision? 
Well, my first sentiment is like Raphael is like the greatest human being ever. Yeah. Like a huge, huge fan of his. Alex and I met him briefly at WonderCon, and he, yes. he was a very lovely guy. He's oh, amazing. Yeah. I'm such a suck up. No, I really like him. <laughs> he's just he's really great. Why he's great at his job is he doesn't he he. It is a collaborative process. He really lets other people like pitch him idea. I mean, he. I got when I got a script, I got to go home and write it. Which sometimes, if you see people's names on on scripts. Like if you see written by, sometimes that's a group effort, even mm-hmm. though maybe your name gets to be on it. But like he really does let you kind of make it your own first. <laughs> and then you bring it back, you get notes, go back home, wonder if you're a failure or not, um, wonder <laughs> if you're really cut out to being a comedy writer. And then you revise and then you come back and then the script goes to him. So he's always the final, like he kind of does the third revision of it. Mm-hmm. And why that's great is because it, it allows all these other ideas and all these other things uh, from, you know, the personal writer who's writing the episode, the, the notes from everybody. But then he, because he really is the overseer of everything, he does a great revision usually that can blend it to the previous episode. So, like, when I was writing my episode, I didn't know the changes that were happening in the previous episodes. Some Some of my stuff, like, it just doesn't work anymore because oh, you weren't here, but we revised it. So he is someone who then, it, he's the he's the end all, the buck stops with him. But I don't mean it in a very, like, slamming his fist down <laughs> way. I mean it more in, like, I think he's a vi- he has a vision. Mm-hmm. And he's also, um, it's helpful that he's funnier than all of us. And I don't just mean, like, the writers, but, like, you too. He's funnier than you guys too, probably. <laughs> like Absolutely. You, <laughs> but he's, he's just that, he has a... He has a brain that is so cartoony and hilarious, and he sees... I mean, ultimately, this is his baby. So, like, he sees it. So, giving him that final draft for him to work through, you just know it's going to be this great product. And then you get to see it for the table reads. So, that's kind of that. He he does a great balance of letting everyone collaborate and you don't feel stifled by your ideas. But then at the end of the day, it's it, he's uh, filtering it through his scope. And his scope is... Um, it's awesome. great. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, awesome. It's, it's brilliant. It's it's he's he's really great at also that. I I just love watch right watching him figure out how to be funny, but also like uh, so poignant and so like beautiful and 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 dark and sentimental. I just think mm. that's like a. I don't know how you do that. I think you are born with that. I think mm. he's a genius. <laughs> that's the short of my story. I think he's great. Uh, once you do go off to write it individually, does it ever go back to the room for punch-ups or anything like that? Yes. Like after the table read, or when does that happen? Uh, all of it. So mm. you kind of break it in the room, mm. at least for BoJack. You yeah. broke it in the, we broke it in the room, meaning we had an outline or had a... Yeah, we kind of had like billet points. And then you go home and you write an outline, which is like usually, you know, 10 pages. It's a, it's a thick thing. Yeah. You get notes on that. You go home, write a script. You get notes. I mean, but they read it every step of the way. The writers, you say, I mean... The whole, the whole room reads it every the step room. of the way. Mm-hmm. Okay. The whole room reads it, and the whole room gave us gave me gave notes. We would say do overall notes, but then go page by page with just mm. pitches of jokes and pitches of things. And it, I mean, it's so fun because people are hilarious, and like <laughs> it's so fun to like. I remember I was like banging my head over a joke, and then like Jordan Young said something, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's it! God, why did I think of it?" <laughs> And now my name's on the script, so you will never know. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and then go home, rewrite, come back, get notes again, mm-hmm. give it to Raphael. It, we, he works on it, brings it to the table read. Table read is really helpful. It's when all the actors are around and actually, uh, usually most production comes. Mm-hmm. And so it's great. So it's the first time you hear your script out loud without you just reading it. You hear it. 
And then you also hear the laughs and you hear where things people <laughs> are definitely not laughing or you hear, you yeah. know, the gasps or like the or like whatever kind of sound effects. And then after the table read, then everyone again sits around and we go through with the script on our screen and we just pitch punch ups. And mm. usually by that point, there's not big overhauls. It's just like, here's a funnier way of wording this. Here's some jokes. Um, so that's kind of the, the vague process. Mm-hmm. And it's always changeable because sometimes things don't, Sometimes table reads don't happen. Sometimes you don't get time to have that mm. second draft. Sometimes you only have a day turnaround to write an outline. So it's really, that's the general, but it's always different. So let's say someone wants to not only be staff on BoJack Horseman, but before that even become a writer for adult animation. What would be your advice for that person? This is more of a general thing, but I think write every single day. And I know that seems so silly, but I think you got to write and, and, and understand that you're just getting better every single day ha- and have completed stuff. I feel like I meet a lot of um, writers, aspiring writers who like I'll meet with for coffee and they'll say things like, well, I'm working on this pilot. I'm like, great, send it my way so I can read it. And they'll go, well, I'm not, uh, I'm like, I'm like, uh. it's like, finish it, finish your pilot, like finish it. And the thing is, it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be uh, the most ideal there's always revisions to be had even even on bojack there's episodes that i'm sure that it was like oh you know i wish you know this i should have said something you know it it, the art is never complete so but complete it anyway if you're specifically interested i think in in adult animation awesome cool because it's great uh i i also am like watch and actually take notes of episodes. How I learned how to write television is I, I, I watched, like, I was, I loved Parks and Rec, so I, like, paused it and would write, this is what happened in each scene. Oh, this is an A story. This is a B story. This is an act break. This is this. And I, and I hand wrote it. That Then I started watching television through a different lens. I watched it through structure and through, for comedy purposes as opposed to for just enjoyment. So if you like animation, look at what they're, why do you like it? pot like watch your bob's burgers episode pause it and go why was this scene amazing take notes on it and then try to write your own and when you write your own complete it and finish (laughs) it and have it ready to show people so tell us a little bit about some of the creative stuff that you're doing outside of the writer's room like your improv and sketch and that sort of thing and maybe how does that help you as a writer so many things like i'm so talented (laughs) um well, let's see. So I, I have a, a sketch comedy team. We're called Charming Cheetah, uh, and we're on YouTube. <laughs> we're that we're that sketch comedy team that does YouTube stuff. I don't know if you've heard of it. <laughs> oh, that one? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. It's really one. innovative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so Charming Cheetah, it's with me, John Myers, and David Hill. And John Myers works for Stupid Buddy, and David Hill works for NBC Superstore. Mm-hmm. So we know things. Um, <laughs> and we do sketches. I also do a lot of stand-up. I, I perform improv. I'm currently um doing stuff at the groundlings right now and yeah on the twitter making them jokes on the twitter (laughs) making jokes on the instagram and on facebook and all that um and all that stuff i think just helps with again it goes back to writing every day and constantly writing and figuring out what make what things make me laugh and what things I enjoy writing Mm. and you know I kind of stumbled into writing fantastical uh heightened realities like my first pilot was like about siblings because I have siblings it's about (laughs) us being siblings yay and then I had another pilot about a teacher about teaching being a teacher and eventually it became like cows with milk guns you know and i and i think it took me performing improv and and doing stand-up and and filming on the weekends with friends to kind and always kind of keeping that uh, muscle 
working mm-hmm. and, and, and then helping me grow as a writer. I think doing all the side stuff helps me grow as a writer. Tell us a little bit about your like future goals and like hopes for your career and stuff. What do you think you want to end up doing eventually? What's the next for you late night? What are you, you know, what are you going to do? Um, I really want a Scrooge McDuck pool of money in my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I really want. Um, Goodness, uh, I think in the future, I because I'm an actor, uh, I think I would love to figure out a way to merge those things. Which mm. that's not a new idea. Like even like you know, I I know so many writers who are also performing and acting on their own capacity. So do like a Rachel Bloom thing. Oh my God! Mm. If only I love Rachel Bloom. I love her so. I'm I love ex crazy ex girlfriend. Did so you much. see how the uh, the lyrics and the the musical sheets just got released this week? No. For all the songs. Ugh. That makes me so happy. Oh, yeah, because I also do, I'm on a music improv team. Musical to me, I forgot to plug them earlier. Mm-hmm. We're really good. Musical to musical. Yeah, my writing partner Kelly is yeah. on that team. <laughs> so it's how I know Nick. <laughs> uh, so that's another muscle. Uh, no, I, I, I love Rachel Bloom. I, but I love that combo. I mean, just anything, Amy Poehler, Tina Fey, Minnie Kaling, Rachel Bloom, all those people. I would love to do something like that in my life because I love acting. And I like being funny and making people laugh. I think other big goals are just... Uh, I really, I think we're in a weird time in America right now, and mm. I want to use comedy as a force for good, so that's a more vague idea, but I would love to write something similar on my own that's poignant and important, and I think that's what every person who's writing should want to do now, is figure out why your writing is important, and mm-hmm. I want to figure out a way to make comedy important in this time <laughs> of, ooh, so, yep. Yeah. So before we head out, do you have any resources you would like to share with our listeners? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I read, uh, when I started doing improv, the first improv book I read was called Truth and Comedy by Del Close. I don't know if that's been name dropped on the show before, but it's a very name droppy book, speaking of name droppy, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a kind of like the fundamentals of improv. And I think improv really helps me in terms of writing. Mm-hmm. I also really loved, uh, because I like late night and I like... I'm a firm believer that if you can write a joke, you can write a scene. If you can write a scene, you can write a script. So if you're good at writing jokes, especially comedy writing, that's really important. And there's a book by Joe Toplin, Comedy Writing for Late Night TV, which I know sounds very specific, and for many people, maybe that's what they want to do. But Comedy Writing for Late Night TV by Joe Toplin taught me how to write jokes. And I think, and I think if you can do that... You can do many other things in terms of comedy. I, th- I found that like a really helpful like mm. step-by-step book. And then I also am just a big fan of reading classics. Like read old stuff because that's fun when you can like parody it later. I love like, you know, read some Steinbeck, man. Read some like Anna <laughs> Karenina, even though it's a boring book. Read it, you know. So those would be all my resources, I guess. Well, on that note, we'd like to thank our listeners for uh, tuning in in this very special episode. Uh, you can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 39. And if you want to leave us a review, you can do that at paperteam.co slash iTunes. And all of your reviews and uh, ratings will help us get some new listeners and help us keep bringing you good stuff. And once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, the Tracking Board's Launchpad Writing Competitions. Paper Team listeners can save $15 off the next purchase there. Just use the code PAPERTEAM, all one word, all capitals, at the checkout to receive your discount. And you can learn more about all the Launchpad's current and upcoming writing competitions by visiting tblaunchpad.com. And as always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. You're on Twitter, Allison? Yeah, at Allison Taffel, 1L, 1F. Nice and easy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you have any feedback, thoughts, opinions, hate mail, you can send that to ask at paperteam.co. 
And next week, we will be talking about one of my favorite subjects, one-hour TV procedurals. So uh, strap yourselves in. Dun-dun. <laughs> Pretty much the same as this, this episode, though. <laughs> See you guys then.